What's up, guys? For those of you that follow me on Instagram and TikTok, you know that I always keep it real with y'all. I took the MCAT twice. The first time, I scored a 27 on the old exam, and the second time, I scored a 510. Looking back, I wish that I used an affordable online test prep company to help me prepare. For this reason, I decided to reach out to Magoosh MCAT Prep to sponsor this season of Destination Healthcare. Magoosh offers online MCAT prep that's actually affordable and guaranteed to improve your score. For less than 200 bucks, you can get a full year of Magoosh, which includes hundreds of content review videos, three full-length practice tests, genuinely helpful email support from their team of MCAT tutors, and a 10-point score improvement guaranteed or your money back. Magoosh is offering 20% off for listeners of this podcast. All you have to do is go to magoosh.com slash Jake. That's magoosh, M-A-G-O-O-S-H.com slash Jake, and you will save 20%. All right, guys, welcome back to Destination Healthcare, the podcast to learn about your favorite healthcare professionals. They will be sharing with you their advice, their insight, and the lessons that they've learned along the journey. Our guest today is Dr. Magnolia Prince. Dr. Prince is a board-certified anesthesiologist practicing in Wisconsin. She attended the University of Wisconsin for medical school and did her residency and fellowship at the University of Michigan. Her husband, John, is an orthopedic surgeon, and together they are raising three young boys. Dr. Prince is known in the medical community for her social media presence on Instagram and TikTok, where she uses her platforms to give her followers an inside look at her life while spreading evidence-based medical education. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Prince. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Of course. It. So I'd love to learn a little bit about you. I first saw you on TikTok maybe three months ago, okay. killing the dance moves, <laughs> but just spreading positive energy and um, and, and misinformation that's out there on TikTok. And you were one of the, the first I saw to, to really have authentic content as a healthcare professional. So I'm a big fan of your work and I'd love to learn a little bit about your background because I, I've read that you moved to the US when you were three. Your family needed to share an apartment with another family just to afford rent. Your parents worked 60 hours a week, minimum wage, just to give you a chance. And so what was that like and what was your background and upbringing like? Sure. So I was born in the Philippines and my, so I guess I moved here in 1984. So I was around three years old. And at the time, that's, that was my normal. I didn't, that was life. I didn't know anything else at three years old. And it's only looking back, um, you know, with the 2020, 2020 retrovision or whatever, that I realized the, the sacrifices um, and the, you know, just the courage that my parents had to move from a country that was their home and then fly all the way to the United States and start fresh because they knew, um, you know, in their own words, it was a land of opportunity. It was a land where if you worked hard enough um, and you, you know, put in the efforts that you could really better yourself. Um, so at the time, you know, it was normal for me. I, you know, the family that we grew up with, I mean, they're like family. Um, I don't know if you know the Filipino culture, but everybody is an auntie, an uncle, or a cousin. Mm -hmm. um, doesn't matter if you're related or not. So it was just normal for me. Um, but yeah, they worked really, really hard. Um, nobody in my family was in the medical field. We didn't have any nurses or doctors. So the fact that I am here doing what I'm doing, um, obviously, I hope my parents are proud of me. Um, sure and are. I hope my family's proud of me, but, um, yeah, it was just, it's kind of crazy how I all ended up here, but 
um, yeah, that's kind of my story. <laughs> did you know, like, when did you know that you wanted to be a doctor? Was it in college beforehand? You know, compared to a lot of pre-med students and medical students that I talked to, it seems like I realized pretty late that I wanted to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. Again, because I had no um, exposure to the medical field growing up. Um, it was only doctor's visits, which I hated. I mean, every every kid who gets vaccinated, you know, gets the shots. It sucks. It, it yeah. just really sucks. So that was my impression of like, you know, the medical field is just going to my family doctor and getting my, my shots. So I didn't really like it. Um, I never considered it. And it was really only um, towards the end of my, it was the end of my junior year when I decided this is what I want to do. Junior year of college, not wow. junior year of high school. Um, like every freshman entering college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I knew that um, I liked the sciences. Um, I knew that I liked biology, but I also liked, um, you know, English literature. Um, mm -hmm. My favorite author is Jane Austen. So I really gravitated towards that. So it's just like, well, what am I going to do with my life? And it wasn't really until um, junior year when there was a class I took. It was an honors class. It was just a small group setting. And um, it was just kind of like this thing where I'm like, yeah, I'll just, I'll just sign up for that. And it was basically a cardiologist who met with us. I think it was every Wednesday evening and just talked about his life. And it really piqued my interest. And that's really what got the ball rolling. Wow. It's crazy how just one class can really be the catalyst. Because that for me, that was anatomy in high school. I always knew I wanted to be a doctor, but I remember going into, uh, but I didn't, you know, I didn't really know why, you know, when you're sure. 10 years old, like, I want to be a doctor. Right, um, right. But then I remember this one anatomy class with this, it was actually a physician that came back to teach. And yeah. it was, that was just like the epiphany where it's like, I will do whatever it takes to become a doctor because this is amazing. I think every grade schooler says, I want to be a doctor. And then it's followed up with, I want to be a lawyer. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be, you know, and that, that was me. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I said growing up that I wanted to be a doctor, but I remember for the longest time too, um, at least early high school, I want, I was thinking law, law school. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the, the fact that one class um, really just piqued my interest and I went, went with it kind of on a leap of faith. Um, you know, medicine combines the little bit of that, you know, the, the sciences and the arts that you see in, you know, literature and, you know, all of that stuff. So I thought that was a really great compromise. And that cardiologist was just amazing. Just the way he spoke and the way that he carried, carried himself and the way he interacted with patients, mm -hmm. it was really inspiring. That's awesome. So as you know, getting into medical school is very difficult. Mm -hmm. um, a big reason why I created this podcast and why I've been active on social media is to make everyone aware of the fact uh, that you may not get in your first time. You may have to take the MCAT twice. You, it right. may be, who knows what your roadblock is, but there will be roadblocks. Uh, and so my question for you is, did you experience any roadblocks on your way to getting into medical school or residency that uh, the, the listener could, could learn from? I think because of my late start and because I realized so late, a lot of people are like, are you sure you want to do this? When I would ask for letters or recommendations, I didn't have the experience that a lot of pre-meds had where they shadowed other doctors or had actual, you know, clinical experience where they've watched surgeries, like talking to some pre-meds, like I watched my first surgery at 14. I'm like, I was not doing that. And um, I just want to encourage people that if you do find this passion late, it's okay um, but yeah, that was a weakness. People really were like, well, you don't have a medical background. Nobody in your family is in medicine. 
um, so you're just telling me because of one class and because you're a biology major that now you want to do medicine for the rest of your life. I really think there was a little bit of like, is this girl, does this girl know what she's doing? Does she know, does she actually know what she's getting herself into? Um, you know, and all I could say at the time was like, well, I watched the show ER, you know, like that was really my exposure to medicine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, that was definitely a roadblock. Um, Thankfully, my biology major or biological sciences major aligned with a lot of the pre-med courses already. So even mm -hmm. though it was kind of later in the game, um, you know, I'd, I'd taken organic chemistry, I'd taken calculus, I'd taken physics, um, biology, obviously, and molecular biology, and all the other classes you need. So even though it was a late start academically from that standpoint, that was okay. It was the volunteering, the medical experience, and to actually convince people that, yes, this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. You were a biological sciences major? Yes. So was I. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. It's a cool major. It's, it made sense to me. It was just like, this makes sense. You know? Yeah, I actually started off in, um, I went to University of Georgia yeah. and I was a biology major and um, I was in these big class sizes with 300 plus students and I had to take calculus and sell bio and I'm thinking right. to myself, I don't care about calculus. Like, <laughs> what am I doing here? And so I actually switched into uh, the College of Agriculture and Environmental Science, very small college at, at UGA, and became a biological science major. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden, I was taking different classes. Like I took a poultry class, you know, food mm -hmm. science, nutrition, and had a way better experience in that major than biology. Nice. Very cool. And now that stuff's really important, too, if you want to come in, you know, as a you know, the whole body approach, instead of just treating the disease, I mean, we have to treat the underlying reasons why we have disease. So mm -hmm. absolutely. Good background to have. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to know why anesthesia? What, um, you know, when did you come to the conclusion that you wanted to be an anesthesiologist? And um, did you come into medical school undecided? Just kind of walk me through your process. There. Sure. Uh, so medical school was a shock to the system. Again, because of the fact that I had no really no experience, even like volunteering or shadowing doctors didn't, doesn't really give you um, really an idea of what you're getting yourself into. I mean, like you, you're not there for very long, number one. Um, so medical school was a shock to the system because I was surrounded by ridiculously brilliant students and I had major imposter syndrome. These were kids that when they first started walking, were walking around with the plastic stethoscope kits <laughs> and was talking about how their dad's, a, you know, an ENT surgeon and, you know, my mom's an oncologist or my mom's a nurse. And I'm like, yeah, that's not me. So I felt kind of really out of place, like a fish out of water. Um, and so, no, I had no idea what I wanted to go into. Um, I knew I wanted to be a doctor, but as to what kind, um, I wasn't sure. And it really wasn't until my, the end of my third year, again, this pattern of being a late bloomer, I guess. Um, <laughs> it wasn't until I took anesthesia, which is not a core rotation. You know, the core right. rotations are general surgery, OBGYN, internal medicine, pediatrics, all that stuff, all that good stuff. These are things we need to see. Um, and I took anesthesia as a two-week filler before I was going to start on my fourth year. And at that point, I thought I was going to do pediatrics. Hmm. Um, and so I had all like my pediatric advisors all through my third year. I mean, like I went through every rotation and I'm like, yeah, this is cool. This is cool. I like it. Like, it's great. Um, and I was resigning. I, I don't want to say resigning, but I was just like, okay, I'm going to do pediatrics. Um, because 
it felt good. You know, like I, I, I love children. It was, um, you know, it wasn't their fault if they were in the hospital. It wasn't their fault if they were having surgery. Like they were so innocent. And I, and I love that about pediatrics. Like I, I felt like uh, it was almost that mother nature, even though I wasn't a mother yet, it was just coming out of me. But then I did anesthesia and I had, and I feel kind of bad for saying this. I didn't have the best impression of anesthesiologists in medical school, um, mainly because we don't, we didn't rotate through it. It's a, an elective. Um, so I would say that, 50% of my classmates never rotated through anesthesia because they got to pick between radiology, dermatology, and all the other, you know, um, non-core um, clerkships. And so when I signed up, I was like, yeah, whatever. This is just going to be a throwaway. I'm going to be there for two weeks. It's not going to be a big <laughs> deal. You know, I like the OR. I'm all set. And then, bam. <laughs> I was like, like the first first couple days, like, I, I think I made a mistake with what I'm choosing because wow. it was just – it. You know, when I say that pediatrics, it felt good to be in, anesthesia felt like home to me. It felt like home. The people, um, the fact that you kind of get a bird's eye view of medicine. And the reason, you know, where I could just commit to it is because I got, I, I didn't have to, I, I didn't have to give up pediatrics. I can do mm -hmm. pediatrics as part of my practice, um, which I do and which I love. So, you know, it just... It was like an epiphany. I love being in the operating room. I love instant gratification of I turn a knob, I push this button, I push this medication, I see the results right away. Um, you know, I'm a naturally anxious person and I think that's a good thing for anesthesiologists because we worry about all the things that could possibly go wrong and we make plans for it. Plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way down to Z. If mm -hmm. this doesn't work out, we're gonna do this, 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 this. And so um, the fast pace, the fact that I didn't have to, um, I wasn't a big fan of clinic either, um, but I just wasn't, I wasn't a surgeon at heart. So it was just like the perfect marriage between being in the operating room and seeing all kinds of medicine. And it's just perfect. It felt That's like home. so cool. Yeah. So it was really like a feeling that you were experiencing once you got in there and it just felt like home. Yeah, it felt like home. And the fact that tech, I was technically like gifted, like I could do the stuff they were asking. And they're like, wow, have you done this before? Nope. <laughs> I've seen cool. people do it. So, you know, I love working with my hands. I love doing procedures, but I just wasn't, um, you know, my husband, you could tell he was going to be a surgeon, even if he didn't figure it out right away. You could just tell with his personality and the way that he was always very just hands on with, um, you know, carpentry he like he mm -hmm. built a trebuchet out of wood in high school just because he thought it was fun like <laughs> so we kind of knew that at least I did that he was going to kind of veer towards you know the um, surgery but surgery was never my thing but I love the operating room so it was a good 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 thing that I found anesthesia my next question is is related to your husband I actually want to know when you met John and was it in medical school or after and then what it's like to be married to uh, a, a surgeon, a physician and how you guys manage that. Wow. So I met John when I was 10. So we were in fourth grade. 10? Um, 10. Yeah. Um, wow. I thought he was a big bully. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what, I mean, when you're, you're in fourth grade and you're a boy, you think girls are, girls have cooties. And so mm -hmm. I think the first time I met him was, um, we, we did not have class together. There are two fourth grade classes, but there's a tetherball, you know, that pull with the ball that swings around. So I was like standing in line, it was my turn. And he was the one that was serving because he had won all the games. And there was like a line of people that he beat. And I'm like, all right, whatever, let's see what happens, kid. 
And he goes ahead and he serves it and he just whacks it right into my chest. And I'm like, I just knocked back. I'm like, oh, this is how it's going to be. <laughs> so I didn't say anything to this kid for like the longest time. And he definitely went through this punk rock grunge uh, alternative rock stage where he wore like all black, you know, leather jackets with the fringes. I'm like, nope, definitely not talking to him either, like in middle <laughs> school. And, um, and then like in high school, I don't know what happened, but like he just, I don't know, we just started talking and it just became a friendship and it just kind of picked up from there. Um, you know, he's also a late bloomer. He thought he was gonna be a math professor in undergrad. Mm. Um, so we did high school and we decided to go to undergrad together because he got a tuba scholarship. And, you know, I, if I ever had a daughter, I would tell her, don't follow your boyfriend to college because I did that. That's not a good idea, but um, <laughs> I did it. Um, and so we went to UW Milwaukee because he got a full ride there for tuba performance. And then wow. he busted his lip and couldn't like in a biking accident. And then he could not, I mean, he can still play it but he couldn't reach the really high notes that you need to be able to reach as a professional tuba player. So then he switched over to math and physics and um, he thought he was gonna be a math professor. And when I was studying for my MCAT, he's like, what are you doing there? Studying for the MCAT, why? Because I think I wanna go to medical school. Okay, I'll do it with you. No way. What do you mean you'll do it with me? I'll, I'll take the MCAT with you. Why? I don't know. <laughs> That's literally the conversation. So we studied for the MCAT. Um, I think we studied for three months straight and it was just the two of us. We didn't have like Q banks or anything back then. It was like mm -hmm. practice books and we would yeah. practice and simulate the test. And of course he blows it out of the water. Of course. And so I'm like, well, do you want to do this? He's like, yeah, I'll go to medical school with you. I'm like, okay. Oh my God. This is amazing. It's like ridiculous. Right? So we applied to two medical schools, got accepted into both. Um, we wanted to stay in Wisconsin to be close to family. And we ended up choosing University of Wisconsin. Um, so yeah, that was, that was, that's our med school story. And that's incredible. Yeah. Um, in terms of like how we did med school together and stuff, man, there's so many things that I wanted to change, would change. Um, first of all, we bought separate books. Why? I don't know. <laughs> you know, we, we should have shared books. Um, we bought separate cars. Why? Um, again, just like really stupid idiotic things. He also doesn't come from a medical background. He doesn't know any doctors or nurses. So I think it was the two of us just trying to figure out and just trying to set us set ourselves up for success. So we felt the need to like have our own separate things and be able to, you know, go to the library whenever we needed to. And I think that was the reasoning back then. But I look back on it and I'm like, wow, that was really dumb. And then also as medical students, you know, you have, you're competitive, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you all have to have a certain drive to be there. Um, so that was really kind of humbling for me when I realized, I mean, we went through high school together and we did fine in high school, but um, that he in some areas was a lot smarter than me and he felt the same way about me. And so certain, certain subjects, one would do better than the other. And for the first three months, we were comparing notes and exam scores and we were miserable just absolutely miserable like you shouldn't do that you should not do that i mean like when they say comparison is the thief of joy that is a prime example of it and i don't like orthopedic surgery I, that's the last thing i want to do on earth and the last thing he wants to do is anesthesia so 
it's good that people have different weaknesses and strengths. And that was something that we struggled with, with both of us being kind of like type A and competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously it works really well now. Um, in terms of like being married to, you know, another physician, it's a goat rodeo, especially being married to a surgeon. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, my hours are pretty erratic too. Um, you know, as an anesthesiologist, you go home when the day is done, you know, when your cases are done, at least in my practice, we do our own cases. So nobody's relieving me or anything like that. If the case happens to run long, it is what it is. I'm going to be there till eight or 9 PM. Cause you know, we take care of our patients and we make Mm -hmm. sure that when we drop them off, they're good. Um, he does the same thing on the other side of the drapes, you know, he is just very busy. He has clinics that run. And so we just, we have to be, and we're working on, you know, communication. It's always needs room for improvement. We have our Google calendars. We have text messages and emails. We share the same schedule with each other. And um, sometimes the running joke is when something pops up and he'll be like, well, didn't you see it on the calendar? No, babe, I didn't. You have to tell me. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's, it, is, it is crazy. And, but it's, again, it's something that, you know, we've been together for so long and we've just kind of done it all together. Mm-hmm. That This is, I don't know anything else. This is just my life the way that it is. Wow. So, I mean, you are an anesthesiologist, wife of an orthopedic surgeon. Yeah. You have three little boys, your mom. Um, you also run a massive social media um, account on both Instagram and TikTok. As of this recording, yeah. uh, TikTok, over nearly 500K Instagram, over 35,000 followers, which mm-hmm. is awesome. And I definitely want to talk about that sure. um, because you're able to share your stories and, and, and really connect to your audience. How, how, like, how do you manage your time? Is this something that you always, you've always worked this hard and that you've been able to allocate time efficiently? How do you manage your time? So the one thing about time um, and this work-life balance, it's a myth. Even though my name is Balanced Anesthesia on TikTok, it does not refer to the fact that I can balance my life because I can't. Um, <laughs> you know, it's as Dr. Rupa Wong says, it's work-life fit. What, you know, thing you, you make, you, pri- you have a list of priorities and you make it fit as best as you can. And you're not going to be perfect at all. You're going to mess up and, you know, your husband may feel neglected one day, your kids may feel <laughs> neglected one day, or maybe that's just the mom guilt, you know, I don't know. Um, but there is, for me, like, there's no work-life balance. The balanced anesthesia actually refers to an anesthetic technique that we use in anesthesia. But um, hmm. I just wanted to clarify that just in case anybody thinks I have it all together. I don't. Um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, for me, a lot of it is being okay with asking for help and telling John, like, hey, you know, and just the, the communication, you know, if he's going to be um, late. Um, you know, it's just helpful if I have my nanny because, you know, if he's going to be late, then we have to do homework. We have to do dinner. We have to, you know, then the baby wants something and then, then the four-year-old wants something. And so we rely heavily on help. You know, mm-hmm. um, we've realized that time is very precious. So we outsource a lot of things. Like we don't go grocery shopping. We get it delivered because wow. it takes five minutes to do a grocery shopping list and have mm-hmm. it delivered versus going with your three rambunctious boys to the grocery store that is a waste of time for me. <laughs> like yeah. that, and you know, they're crying and throwing tantrums. So um, just like little tips like that, like, you know, outsourcing, being, being vulnerable with yourself and saying, yes, I need help. And that's okay. And no, my nanny's not raising my children. She is an extension of my parenting and she understands that the kids understand that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just trying to make it fit as best we can. 
I really like that answer. That's, that's so real because I, some people, I ask a lot of people this question and it's almost like I'm questioning, okay, are you giving up sleep? Because there's only 24 hours in the day. Like maybe you're sleeping six, but are you sleeping five? Like how are you? So thank you for, for sharing oh, that because for that sure. is something that, uh, you know, my girlfriend and I were um, planning on couples matching and sure. hopefully we'll be in a, in a similar situation as you. And it's nice to know that you can ask for help. It's okay. And it's, I love what you said. It's an extension of your parenting, uh, having um, someone help with your children. And that's, that's so uh, real. So thank you for saying that. And I think a lot of working mothers struggle with the babysitters and the nanny and people are saying like, oh, you have somebody raising your children. Believe me, the Filipino aunties would be like, you have somebody raising your children. It's not really true because, you know, we have a certain guidelines and, you know, schedules and things that we ask her to do. And your kids will always know who their parents are, believe me, because when they're around their nanny, they're on really good behavior. But when it's mom and dad, it's ah, you know? <laughs> because they feel safe with you. So yes, you will always be their parents and, you know, don't feel guilty about asking for help. Wow. Thank you. I want to talk about social media. Um, sure. So first off, you know, like I said, you, you developed this large following. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, you know, we were talking before, before the podcast, I first saw you on oh. TikTok. That's the first time I ever saw you. Um, very, you know, day one, I downloaded the app. I yeah. saw a few people on there. Um, yeah. One of them was Austin Chang, who I'd love to get on this podcast at, at a later date. And one was you. Mm -hmm. um, and at that time, I had TikTok for me was this just crazy Vine 2.0 just trending dances. And, you know, I was like, you know, what the heck, I'm just going to download it. And mm -hmm. I started seeing um, just real healthcare professionals sharing real advice, motivation, uh, mm -hmm. and dispelling myths about, about medicine. And not, that's when I saw potential. I was like, whoa. Yeah. And since then, you've been just killing it. Uh, by the way, I think you're the best dancer, doctor. Thank you. Except for there is one guy, I think his name is like, Doctor like, Dancer, or like yeah, he's amazing. Like he's he's like amazing. really good. He's a real actual dancer. Like he choreographs stuff. Like he is. Yeah, all respect to him. He's incredible. <laughs> so you're the second best. Um, Thank you. I would just love to know. Um, let's start with let's start with TikTok. When did you start on TikTok? Why did you start on TikTok? And what has that experience been like growing to nearly five hundred thousand on the app? Um. So I started TikTok uh, October two thousand nineteen. Um, so a little, yeah, 2019. And um, like I said, it was Mama Dr. Jones and Austin Chang who kind of turned me on to it. And I was like, oh, this looks fun. Like you can do little transitions and stuff. And honestly, the way that I thought about it at first was like, I need to spice up my Instagram stories. Hmm. And, um, and then I realized its potential. There's just so much more that you can do with it. Um, you know, I, my entire reason for being on social media I have a couple of reasons, but um, one of them is the fact that, um, you know, a lot of people don't understand who anesthesiologists are. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, for me, it's like opening up the ether drape and saying, welcome, this is what we do. Um, and this is why we matter in the operating room. And, you know, this is our skill set. Another reason why I'm on there is again to dispel any myths of you know doctors being you know on this pedestal for some reason where yeah. you know they have that white coat and it's almost like people don't realize that they're humans and have 
lives outside of you know the hospital and i wanted to show people kind of like the background or a sneak peek not even sneak peek behind the scenes of my life um and hopefully inspire you know other girls to go into the especially girls of color mm-hmm. uh, you know minorities because I think it's important to have representation. We need to be able to look like our patients and the stereotype of the white older male being the doctor, it's just not right for America. We are so diverse. Um, And I think people feel comfortable when they uh, see someone who's like them. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I think my story too, um, overcoming a lot of obstacles early on to be where I am now, I hope is inspiring and motivating for people that, have a similar background to me. Um, so those are the reasons why I'm on there. As for, you know, the growth, I mean, it's, I feel like um, TikTok's growth and the views and the likes you get, it's almost every single one is like viral. I mean, compared to Instagram, compared to Facebook, like, you know, I have, well, I deactivated Facebook, but like when I was on Facebook, mm-hmm. like, you know, you would share a picture of your kid because you know every you know aunts and uncles and cousins are all across the country and friends are all across the country and you get a couple likes and a couple comments because yeah. nobody really does anything on there and then you go on instagram and it's just like okay well i have my niche so this is what i'm going to talk about but tiktok really allows me to be me and i have my niche of being a doctor but i also have this niche of like yes this is my life with three boys and this is what it's like to be married to your high school sweetheart and this is what i've overcome in terms of adversity and you know it's a hodgepodge of things and that's okay and um i think people maybe find it relatable and that's why there's growth but i really just strive to be authentic to me like Mm -hmm. i think you are the only one that can tell your story and i know my story really well and i can say it because it's my truth and mm-hmm. maybe they crave authenticity and maybe they just want to see what's a doctor really like, you know? So. Right. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's unlike any other app, a social media app that I've ever seen where the organic reach, I know that that term gets thrown around all the time, but the organic reach that the app has where you can be, you can have zero followers. Absolutely. You could put a video up. Mm-hmm. My friend, um, I don't know if you know Zachary from MD Motivator. He uh, is my friend on Instagram, and he just made an account last week, put yeah. up his first video. Yeah. 300,000 views. Yeah, amazing. If you um, try to do that, that's impossible on Instagram, Twitter. Even on YouTube, it's hard to do that. And it, the, en- the engagement is just so high there. Um, you know, the average comments, you know, anywhere between 500 and 1,000 comments on each, you know, video. I mean, there's some that are a little lower, but that's okay. Like the FYP is, has its own algorithms or whatever, but um, just definitely higher engagement over there. And yeah, definitely that reach. And I think that's important. Um, you know, pe- people made fun of me as a 38-year-old on TikTok. They're like, mm-hmm. what are you doing on there? Like, that <laughs> is an app for teenagers. Like, what are you doing? And I think now they're being like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, well, you know, and I've seen uh, a lot of other doctors join in and spread their message. And I think that's important to see a wide representation of all the specialties and all of that stuff. But um, yeah, I, I, we definitely took heat like the mm-hmm. first couple months that I was on there, three months, six months. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I've been taking heat too. I know it's, uh, it's a stigmatized platform that's it's changing now, but um, yeah. yeah, people are... I have friends that are like, Why do, what are you doing on there? And you know, you, you, what you said that it's an app for teenagers. Um, once I figured out 
what I could do with TikTok, I was like, exactly. That's who I'm trying to reach. Those are the people I want to motivate so that the 19-year-old kid, the 21-year-old kid that's studying for the MCAT and, and has to take it three times, keeps yes. getting denied from med school, doesn't yeah. think he's the only one experiencing that. Or the 17-year-old that has clear depression but thinks that depression is one in a thousand, doesn't right. realize that it's you know, 20% of people lifetime prevalence. That's the people I'm trying to reach. And so yeah. like for people that's, that you know, may make fun of us because that's a teenage app, Exactly. Those are my target audience. And you post all the time, uh, people like testimonies of people saying, thank you so much for what you do. It's so inspiring. Like that's what it's all about. Yes, for sure. I mean, it's basically me trying to go back to the past and encourage myself as a teenager, because I never thought that I could be where I am today in all honesty, because it was just never on my radar. I just didn't think that I was good enough. I didn't have the background. I didn't have the, the connections. I didn't have the money to be able. And you know, once I realized like, you don't really need money. You just got to take out money to go to med school. It's <laughs> yeah. a lot of money, but like, um, I was like, okay, we got this, we got this, let's go. Um, so yeah, it's just me reaching, you know, to that little girl who was watching my videos and be like, she's silly, she's relatable, and she's a doctor, mm-hmm. like, you know, and she can dress up and she can do her hair and that's okay. She can be feminine, you know, and right. she can have, you know, three silly boys and all of that stuff. I think that, you know, being authentic to your story is so important. And I think that's why it works so well. Mm-hmm. What is your advice uh, and maybe a thought about um, train people that are in training so medical students being on or nursing students for that matter um any sort of healthcare professional student being on these platforms mm-hmm. um because i you know 90 percent of the the people i engage with uh love to see my content and and but there are people that um say you know you're wasting your time on there you're gonna ruin your chance of matching you know you make one mistake and and they're right it can be a very dangerous platform and i'm afraid and i have been um, you know, trolled before by even some doctors. Um, so I just want to know your views on, on that. On the trolling? Not so much the troll, but more so just the, um, is it a very dangerous place? Would you advise one of your sons that was uh, in a medical school, you know, 15 years from now um, to be on these platforms and to be active? You know, I will honestly tell you because I'm an attending and I don't have um, you know, a residency or program director breathing down my neck. I don't have other attendings breathing down my neck that I can have a little bit more freedom with what I post because mm-hmm. you know, I'm, you know, private practice and my partners, we all kind of think the same, you know, not think the same, but they're all very understanding and accepting of my social media presence. Um, I don't say anything inflammatory. And I think as long as you hold yourself, um, in a professional sense, you know, the, the, the regard that you would want your attendings to be like, or your nursing director to be like, or your nurse manager to be like, or your nursing professor to be like, whatever, what would you want to see from them? Um, and I think, you know, if you're authentic to yourself, you maintain professionalism. Um, I don't really think you can really get in trouble. You know, I think where people kind of get into trouble is number one, HIPAA violations, not following the social media policy of their medical school or residency or hospital, um, you know, making fun of patients. That is never, ever, ever okay. And I think the people that got in trouble were the ones that were making fun of patients. They're already in a vulnerable, they're, as a patient, they're already vulnerable. And then you're going to make a TikTok about that. Mm -hmm. Just no. I mean, you just, 
you have to be able to understand what the difference between right and wrong. And if you can't, and you're having a hard time with it, TikTok's probably not the best platform for you. Social mm -hmm. media is probably not the best for you because you can do that on Twitter. You can do that on Instagram. You can do, you know, it's just easier with TikTok because, you know, it's a video and it's fast and easy. Um, but maintain professionalism know the rules and the regulations and policies and be authentic. Don't be rude. Don't be mean. Yep. That's it. Right. Agreed. So I'll end it with this. Um, what advice do you have for anyone that has a dream of going to med school uh, or any sort of healthcare professional school, uh, but is struggling right now with prereqs, MCAT, any sort of standardized tests and, and doubting themselves and whether they should pursue this dream? I mean, like the doubt is real. Imposter syndrome is real. I would just say, know that you're not alone. And then if you're trying to compare yourself to the you know, student right next to you, they're probably struggling too, but they may be better at hiding it. Um, everybody is in the same boat. I don't care who you are. Everybody struggles. Everybody just struggles with it differently. And if this is really your dream and this is something you really, really want to do and you can't imagine doing anything else, don't, don't give up because it's worth it, right? Take your failures, learn from them, and then fail forward. Be vulnerable, accept like, yes, I'm not perfect. This is what I need to work on. I think what, you know, we take, we tend to take a lot of failures personally instead of, you know, using them as tools to better ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, so failing forward, being vulnerable, being, you know, open to criticism and learning from all of that. Um, don't ever give up if this is your dream. That's what Love I would it. Dr. Prince, thank you so much for joining. Oh, welcome. I'm thank a big fan of yours. So this has Likewise, been... I love your stuff too. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate that. All right, guys. So check out Dr. Prince, uh, Balanced Anesthesia on TikTok, uh, mm -hmm. Magnolia Prince on Instagram. Magnolia Prince MD on Instagram. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Any other social media channels you want to shout out? I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> she no, deactivated her Facebook. That's it. I deactivated. That was more of a personal, personal family yeah. one. And I was like, this is too much. I can't do it. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much for joining. We are going to um, end the podcast here and jump on Instagram live. Just as a reminder, today's episode is sponsored by Magoosh MCAT Prep. If you are preparing to take the MCAT, you have to check out Magoosh. Magoosh is super affordable and has a 10-point score improvement guaranteed or your money back. I wish that I had used something like this when I was studying for this horrible exam. Magoosh is offering 20% off for listeners of this podcast. All you have to do is go to magoosh.com slash Jake. That's magoosh, M-A-G-O-O-S-H dot com slash Jake, and you will save 20%. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Destination Healthcare. If you made it this far, then hopefully you enjoyed it. If you haven't already, please consider clicking that subscribe button. If you particularly enjoyed today's episode, I'd love to receive a rating and a review from you. Unless you hated it, then maybe don't do that at all. See you guys next week.